All right, well, grab your Bibles. Make your way to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 13, and we're going to work our way through verse 20. The setting of this particular passage is the Feast of Booths, where Jesus has made two great proclamations. It began back in John chapter 7 when Jesus said in the temple during the middle of the festival, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The second one is the verse we looked at last week, if you weren't here, and it was given at the conclusion of the festival, when the temple would be lit up with lanterns and candles, and Jesus used this particular moment to stand up and say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is in verse 12 there. It's these two statements that Jesus has made during this week-long festival that began to bring the Pharisees to want to confront him even more. And it launches this confrontation, which we're going to be looking at this, at this morning. We're told at the beginning of the Gospel of John that the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus. That was their intention. That was what was on their heart. We're also told during the middle of the festival, as Jesus stood up and made the proclamation of living water, that he let everyone know as gathered at the temple on that particular day that he was aware of the murderous intentions of the Pharisees, that they wanted to kill him. Our confrontation this morning deals with the truth of testimony, and it speaks of Jesus' testimony of himself, but also is to give us some understanding about our testimony and what it is to be founded upon. <clears throat> so let's read our passage, and we'll walk through beginning in verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from, or came from, and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. <clears throat> Yet... Even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, you know, neither, <clears throat> you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. And these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. The accusation the Pharisees are bringing towards Jesus is concerning his witness and his testimony. The word witness and testimony are actually founded upon the same Greek word which we receive our word in the English for martyr. Both carry the meaning of speaking favorably of oneself are delivering a statement of approval concerning oneself. And because this is the accusation as being brought before Jesus, we can understand it's based upon the previous proclamations that Jesus made in chapter 7 and in chapter 8. And the problem the Pharisees are having, we have to keep in mind these are the religious leaders of the Jewish people, is they believe that Jesus is simply witnessing or testifying on his own accord. And if this were true, then their accusation would hold merit based on Scripture. In Deuteronomy, <clears throat> excuse me, 
In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, and in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, the Word of God commanded the Jewish people that there must be two to three witnesses in order for a statement to be proven true. Now, in the context of those particular verses, it was, it was concerning a crime that had been committed, and an individual could only be proven guilty if two or more witnesses came and said something about it. Obviously, when we come to our passage, there's not really a crime that's been committed, but this is the grounds to which the Pharisees are bringing up against Jesus. They held the belief, and whether it was a crime or a statement, that it could only be proven valid if there was someone to corroborate with the statement. This wasn't what the necessarily those verses in Deuteronomy were speaking about, but this is why Jesus in verse 17 refers to the your law, speaking of how the Pharisees interpreted those particular verses and how they tended to use them. And so they would have their own instructions and their own definition of those verses. But in short, the Pharisees are coming to Jesus and they're accusing Jesus of bragging about himself or speaking on his own behalf with no one to back him up. And we know this really isn't the case. If we were to read through the Gospels, you would see that the, John the Baptist testified about Jesus and his identity. When Jesus performed miracles and he taught, the people testified about the authority of his teaching and they testified about the healings that were happening in John chapter 5, a paralyzed man was healed, and he testified about the healing power of Jesus. When we come into John chapter 9, this accusation is actually going to set up that as Jesus heals a blind man. And once the accusation is brought forward, Jesus makes his rebuttal beginning in verse 14. So Jesus looks at these men, these men, who he knew had murderous intentions in their heart. He knew what they wanted to do to him. And he basically looks at him and says, Look, guys, even if I were to be the only one to testify about myself, everything I say is truth. The statement setting up what Jesus will say in verses 15 and 16. He then goes on to tell them the reason they can know what he says is truth is because he knows where he came from and he knows where he is going. He came from heaven and he's going to return to the right hand of the Father. Of course, this is going to happen after he endures the cross. But what Jesus teaches us here is he's dealing with these men and concerning our own testimony is that our truth of testimony is founded on we know where we are going. When we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, <clears throat> several things happened in that moment. One, we were forgiven for our sins. We were given the gift of eternal life, but there are so many other things. One thing the Bible tells us, when Jesus Christ becomes our Lord and Savior, we become a new creation. That means we are no longer seen by God in our sin. But we are a new creation fully covered with the righteousness of Christ. Our identification changed. When we became a child of God, we became a co-heir with Christ to the kingdom of God. We became an individual who has now been completely restored or reconciled back to a holy father. Second, our destination changed. Now that we are found in Christ, 
When we die, we have the promise that heaven is awaiting us. This is what is known as eternal security. So when we accepted Christ, God put his Holy Spirit inside of us, which sealed us for eternity. And so Paul would write in Romans chapter 8, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus had a blessed assurance of his eternal destination. Though he knew it meant he would have to endure the cross and by our faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins here's the thing we also have a blessed assurance of our eternal destination this is why I believe our testimony in this world can be nothing but truth it reminds me of the old hymn it says blessed assurance Jesus is mine oh what a foretaste of glory divine Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story and this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. With this same thought, this is why we have to testify about truth. Because not only do we know where we're going because we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, but we also know where everyone on this planet is going, especially those who do not have Jesus Christ. There are only two options when we die. There are only two destinations. Those who are found in Christ will go to heaven, and those who are without Christ will go to hell. And that's not meant to be a scare tactic, but God wants us to know right off the ground, there is no middle ground. There's only two options in the end. The Bible tells us numerous times throughout Scripture, when all is said and done, every individual that ever lived from every tribe, every nation, every tongue is going to stand before Christ to be judged. Those he knew as his own, he's going to welcome home to heaven. And those he did not know as his own, the Bible says he's going to cast them into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. And Matthew 25 tells us that in that moment, no one is going to be able to make an excuse that will change Jesus' judgment. This is why we as God's people must be proactive in sharing the gospel. Jesus' point in verse 14 is that his witness is not about himself, but his witness is about the Father, and it is for the Father. His rebuttal is declaring his mission, just as our rebuttal to this world is to declare our mission, that we are to win as many people as possible for the kingdom of God. Then in verse 16, notice Jesus kind of changes the direction of the conversation where now he is bringing the accusation to the Pharisees. The key word in verse 16 and verse 17 is the word judge and judgment. And Jesus is telling these men who are to be the religious leaders of the Jewish people that it is not his judgment that is flawed, but it is their judgment because they are judging according to the flesh. That's there in verse 15. The statement means 
They cast their judgment based upon what they see or upon human standards, which is plagued by sin. I know I said one day we're all going to stand before Christ and that we're going to be judged, but his ministry on earth was not about bringing judgment, but to reveal the Father and to show the Father's love and the Father's grace. This is why Jesus said in Nicodemus, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so this is why we find him here in John chapter 8, that he says, I judge no one. And that is seeing the people that he continually hung out with, which these religious leaders deemed as sinners. And he goes on to make a bold statement there in verse 16, that if he were to judge, his judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. And so Jesus' judgment on situations is based upon the truth of God's word. What Jesus says is what God has said. And so it tells us our testimony is founded upon the word of God. Too many times Christians can fall into the temptation of the Pharisees that we judge by human standards. We see something that we don't agree with and we jump to a conclusion or a judgment. We hear something that goes against our beliefs and our convictions and we tend to cast a glare. In Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, Paul is led to write on why every individual does what they do when they sin. And the reason people do what they do and they continue to live in sin is because they've ultimately denied the living God. And so God then has allowed them to satisfy their sinful nature. There's a phrase used over and over again in Romans chapter 1 where it says God gave them up. That doesn't mean God gave up on them, but he gave them over to that sinful nature. And yet after Paul writes about all this and how people are falling into wickedness and sinfulness and running away from God, in the very next breath, in Romans chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And so what Paul is setting up is how all people fall into temptation of sin. And he writes how all people have the law of God written upon their heart. That means all people, whether they're a believer or not, have this inerrant understanding of what is right and wrong, or what is good and bad. That's because God has written his law on every individual's heart. And so what Paul goes on to say is because of the law, that's written on people's hearts, people then therefore understand sin because the law reveals sin. And Paul keeps coming back to the law of God and then he brings it to fulfillment in, in Romans that through the law and through Christ, when we put our faith in Christ fulfilling the law, we'll be saved. And how that ties into our passage this morning is Jesus is telling this men, these men, look, I don't judge anyone. But if I were to judge someone, it would be an accurate judgment because it's based upon the word of God. Martin Luther wrote this analogy concerning verses 15 and 16. 
It's the same as when a physician says to his patient, I've not come to you to give you poison or cause you your death, but I want to help you. If you follow my advice, you need not worry. But if you refuse my advice, call me a rogue or a rascal, regard my medication as nonsense, and will not tolerate me around you, then you are arbitrarily sentencing yourself to death. And then the fault is yours. I am not the one who's killing you. And how this applies is when we look into this world as God's people, we have to view everything in this world through the lens of God's word. And in my time in ministry, there have been a lot of great Christians that God has brought into my life and brought into our family's life. Yet it amazes me, even some great Christians do things or vote a certain way that does not align with the word of God. And it should not be that way. This has to be what guides us and leads us to do everything we do, everything we vote on, everything we talk about. And so when we open God's word, we are opening absolute truth. And what that means is this book is truth for all people in all places for all time. It is absolute truth. And so we have the privilege as God's people to testify about this truth. We have the privilege that we can read this truth and understand this truth so we can understand the world we live in. So I want to encourage everyone, if you aren't already, to begin memorizing Scripture. And I want you to memorize passages of Scripture that would be good for your life. When Satan comes and he brings his attack, you have that scripture verse in your head and you can shoot truth right back at Satan's temptations, right back at his attacks. And I also want to encourage every believer to have certain passages of scripture memorized so when you engage in gospel conversation and you don't have your physical Bible with you and you can't get the phone app out quick enough, You've got these things already ready to go. So I want to give you a couple of verses. They'll be up here on the screen. To engage in gospel conversation, Romans 3.23. People have to understand why they need Jesus. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so you engage in conversation, and maybe the question will come up is, well, why does that matter? If all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, why does that matter? Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, what's that gift? John three sixteen. Most of us know that one. For God so loved the world he gave gave the gift of his only son begotten son if you're got some King James background that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life and the thing about it in our world right now is people think well I thought all religions lead to God and it, you know as long as you believe in God then you'll go to heaven well we've mentioned this verse several times last Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then you get them to that place where you, you're having this conversation, you're speaking truth into their life and into their heart, and hopefully it comes to a place, well, what do I do now? 
how do I receive this gift? Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus revealed to his men who were out to get him. They had a flawed judgment because it was based upon the sinful nature and his righteous judgment would be based upon the word of God, which was truth. He then proceeds to bring up their law there in verse 17, which again is speaking about their teaching of God's word. And if their judgment was flawed, then he's also bringing up the point that their understanding of the passage that they're trying to bring at him is also flawed. And Jesus reveals the desire for two witnesses can be seen through the witness of Jesus and the witness of his father since he is living according and accurately to the father's word. And yet Jesus in verse 18, his statement to them goes right over their head. Instead of understanding Jesus is speaking of the heavenly father, they think he is speaking of an earthly father. They ask, where is your father? They're basically, in our day, they would say, where's your dad? Can you bring him here? Can he bear witness for you? We'd like to meet this man. And their question reveals the truth of what Jesus has already stated back in verse 15, that they are judging and living according to the flesh. The truth of Jesus' words have just become reality within this conversation that is going back and forth between them. And he says in verse 19, You neither know me nor my Father. If you knew me, you'd know my Father also. And it brings up another truth of our testimony. Our truth of testimony is founded on the relationship with God. Because we know him, and scripture says we are known by him, that's what makes our testimony valid. One commentary wrote, the whole gospel of John teaches us that not only is the father known in the son, but that the father, in the full sense of his nature and work, is known only in the son. John Calvin wrote that whoever aspires to know God without beginning at Christ must wander in a labyrinth. Now, people may have their foregone conclusions about God. They may say, well, I, I believe there is a God. But the reality of what Jesus is stating in this moment is that no one can know God except through the Son. And that is why we as God's children must share about the full work of Jesus Christ. And I believe some reason, or one reason... Many believers struggle to share the gospel is this. It is a reflection on their relationship with God. Just think about this. All believers should be able to answer these two questions. The why they were saved and the how they were saved. And there's four simple answers, two to each question. Why were you saved? So you could be forgiven for your sins. So you could go to heaven. How were you saved? By Jesus' death and resurrection, placing my faith or trust in him. 
all believers should know those, those things. And those are simple things. These aren't huge doctrinal things. These aren't huge theology things. These are just four simple truths. When someone asks you, why were you saved? How were you saved? And so if we do these things, know these things, and yet there's some reason we're not sharing the gospel, there has to be something else to it. And I believe with Jesus' statement here, it is a reflection of the believer's relationship with the Father. There are people God has specifically placed in their life to share the gospel so they can begin relationship with God. And Jesus is saying, if people don't know him, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior, then they also don't know God as their God. They may know things about God. They may even say they believe in God. But Jesus is the literal spiritual key. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, one thing the Pharisees give us an understanding is that though we may share the gospel with people, there are going to be people in our realm of influence who are more attached to the things of this world than they are to the things of God. There are many thoughts on why, in verse 20, that John deliberately mentions that this conversation took place between Jesus and the Pharisees around the treasury, which would place that in the court of women within the temple. And one thought I came across that I liked, I can't say if that's the reason, but I liked, is that John is alluding to these men's attachment to earthly treasures over spiritual treasures. In almost every encounter that Jesus has with these particular men, even though they were antagonistic toward him, every time what Jesus does is he delivers a spiritual truth to them to try to get them to understand what they need to understand. And unfortunately, only one of the Pharisees seemed to cross that bridge. And that was Nicodemus. Another theme we see coming out of chapter 7 and into chapter 8 is this final phrase of verse 20. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. These men wanted to kill Jesus. These men wanted to get rid of him. They wanted him gone. But no matter how evil their intentions were, it was not going to be according to their time, and it was not going to be according to their will. It was going to be on God's time and according to God's will, as Jesus alluded to in verse 14, for I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. Jesus knew he came from the Father. And there were many people in Jesus' day who came to understand that. Jesus also knew that he was going to return to the Father, which even his disciples didn't fully understand that until they saw Jesus literally rise up into the heavens, which is recorded in Acts chapter 1. But Jesus also knew it not being his time at this moment but he knew where he was going to have to go before he could return to the Father. And he was going to have to go to the cross. 
he was going to have to die and be placed in a tomb. But neither of those places would he stay very long. See, Jesus would die on the cross for the sins of the world. And sometimes we say that, we don't even fully understand it. What that means, when Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, that means God, holy God, poured out his full wrath upon his son. All of God's wrath falling on his son on the cross until it was completely finished. But he wouldn't stay on the cross. And he wouldn't stay in the tomb. He rose three days later. What would become known as the Lord's Day in Scripture. That's Sunday. That's why most churches meet on Sunday, because we're celebrating He's alive. He is risen. And we're also celebrating the fact that He promised He's going to return. And He's going to take His people home. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, I want to deliver very clearly how that can change today. God extends His gift, His invitation. It begins by admitting that you're a sinner. You fall short of God's holiness and perfection. You do things you're not proud of at times. But in his believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins, he rose again that you could be forgiven for your sins and be given eternal life. And the Bible says when we believe that in our heart, we must confess it with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we will be saved. And that word confess out of Romans chapter 10, verse 9, means to make publicly known. And so every Sunday we come to this time of invitation where I stand here and I ask if you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, that you would come down this aisle and let it be known and today would be the day of your salvation and your identity will be changed and your destination will be changed. I'm going to ask Nick to come up and lead us and Bridget and I'm going to pray over us. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us and taking care of us saving us and forgiving us. And thank you, Lord, that you speak truth, even though sometimes it may be hard to hear, sometimes hard to understand. But we thank you, you will only speak truth. We come this time of invitation and response. And Lord, I pray if someone's here this morning and they're unsure or they know for certain that they are not saved, that your spirit would bring them to the front and they would be changed forever. Forgive us if we failed you in any way, and we praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.